0: Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the Team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers, and moves in livestock, grain and oil seed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar, thanks for tuning into episode number 198. We've spent the last few weeks talking to people out in the field and on the ground to give us some insight into livestock markets. And this week we're going online to source our insight. We're joined by Tim McCrae, Chief Economist at Auctions Plus. And the gatekeeper, I guess you could call him, to the data and intel coming out of our biggest online sale yard. Luckily for us, Auctions Plus are always more than willing to share the stories and trends they are seeing in their market data. And on top of that, we're going to hear about some of the challenges that are top of mind for livestock producers from results of their annual survey, the gavel. Before we jump into the episode, I'll cover a few things our analyst team have been watching this week. For all the hype of alternative meats, there are a few indications that consumer curiosity may be wearing thin. McDonald's have ditched their McPlant burger from menus in the U.S. after a failed trial. Grocery store pricing data in the U.S. is also showing that alternative protein prices haven't increased compared to the same time last year, even though fresh beef prices have lifted 9% over the period. There's also been a lot of news about for grain and oil seed with the release of the USDA World Supply and Demand Estimates report this week. A few of the key points were that world wheat production forecasts have been raised 1%, but this will still be the third year in a row where consumption outstrips production. Corn supplies should be similar to last year, but there is plenty of uncertainty and prices are pegged at similar levels to last year, but we won't rule out upside due to volatility. That's it from me. Enjoy the episode with Tim McRae and Robert Herman.
1: Well, so welcome to Tim McRae, and it's terrific to have you back on again because uh, as the Chief Economist and Analyst at uh, Auctions Plus, you see a lot of stock numbers going through. Tim, welcome to Commodity Conversations. Thanks for having me back, Rob. Look, it's, um, Auctions Plus has really been going from strength to strength, and we know it played that, that Auctions platform played a really important role through covid Um, But I don't think it's all about the COVID with the uh, interface sales, et cetera, because last year, according to your um, end of financial report, you offered nearly 900,000 head of cattle and more than four and a half million sheep. That's a pretty big number to be going through, Tim.
2: Yeah, look, another very busy year. Um, And I think it's, you know, I think along with people being introduced to the platform over the last years, I think. The seasonal factors have had a huge part to play with that. And when producers have flexibility about how they can market their stock and what price they'd like for their stock, that is really the crux of what the the platform can deliver.
1: That's right. I think, though, also there's been this understanding, and we've been speaking to some sale yard agents and operators, the understanding that by including Auctions Plus in the normal traditional sale yard sales, it actually adds a bit more um, bite to the market as well.
2: I think the more eyeballs, if you know, from agent's point of view, the more eyeballs you've got looking at, uh, you know, what you've got on offer, whether it's through the sale yards or on the box or however you want to do it, you know, that can only be a positive, um, and that sort of builds on itself, I think, over time. Whether it's the familiarity with the Options Plus platform or, you know, just having those more eyeballs looking at your stock, you know, results can only be enhanced from that.
1: I think that you you're, you're- comment there about the familiarity, Tim, um, there's no doubt people are much more confident now in the description of stock and uh, and what they can learn about stock without having to actually, um, you know, walk through the pen, if you like. Uh, so that's sort of an evolutionary thing, I think, but also it's part of your systems to, uh, to make sure that the descriptions remain at a high level.
2: A lot of work goes into the integrity of those assessment criteria. Um, and, you know, I, I know talking to a lot of producers who use the Auctions Plus platform, they really love the uh, the more photos and, you know, you see some being quite creative with, you know, drone footage and different things. That only enhances the, the buyer's ability to see what they're after. Um, but, you know, I think for a lot of producers, you give them the breed, you give them the weight, you give them the location um, and some age, and, and that should tell them a lot about the type of stock they're purchasing.
1: Yes, that's right. And there's no doubt that, uh, you know, you built your platform on the back of cattle and sheep, but it's much more diverse than that now, and uh, we won't go into all of the sales, but I note that um, goats are becoming more and more apart. We're hearing a lot uh, out in those um, Western areas that there are a lot more goats, but certainly people are are, um, putting it up on the box as well.
2: Yeah, I think goats are a real um, sleeper. I know being doing this for a long time that, you know, goats sort of comes on a bit and will disappear for a few years for commentary. But I think, you know, what we've seen online is that really becoming a, a mainstream industry. And I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, I can only think that'll grow over time as as the confidence around that industry um, increases and and producers become much more comfortable. And I dare say neighbours become much more comfortable with people running goats. Now, Tim,
1: just just want to talk about clearance rates. Do, do we notice any changes in clearance rates? because I imagine that in the um, you know if we went back 12 months ago when the the um, restocking was in full bloom um, clearance rates were at a, a pretty strong level. Does that change much as as the uh, demand changes or you know does the market find its own level and the clearance rates stay the same?
2: No, look, if there's one criteria I watch after our weekly sales, it's the clearance rates. Um, as an example, we've, you know, the last couple of months have been a very interesting one for livestock sales. I think, you know, we have saw concerns around the FMD and general inflation and a lot of things moving against the industry. Um, and through that period, we saw our initial clearance rates at the end of sales dropping significantly. Um, we we would expect, let's say, PTIC heifers, which week in, week out are our largest category. When was all guns blazing you know, through 2021, we'd be seeing 80 to 90% clearance rates at the immediate close of an auction. Through the June-July period just been, we were seeing that as low as 15 to 20% at the immediate end of an auction. Um, I think the clearance rates are the best indicator for confidence. Um, and if we have, even have a look at last week's results, where we had our lowest... Cattle numbers um, in over three years, clearance rates bounced through the roof back up over 95% for most categories. You know, And that was competition coming looking for a very low supply. So clearance rates are what I look at first. And I think they're a real good indicator of just where the sentiment is in the market. We then watch what those rates do over the next 48 hours. Um, and you know, using something like the land market of late, Initial rates have been very low. They probably pick up by 20, 25 percentage points over the next 48 hours as negotiations take place. And, you know, that's a real benefit of the platform. But, you know, I watch clearance rates before I watch the price movement.
1: Yes, I guess um, uh, what we're hearing there is we know that when when the market is is on the way up, you know, you can put, your stock on, and and have a lot of confidence that it's going to get a lot of uh, a lot of interest. But when markets are a bit dodgy, you can actually, or, or a bit, or struggling a bit, or demands a bit uncertain, or there's lack of confidence, as you've just said, Tim, you can still list your stock um, without the uh, a, a, and put your reserve on without any sort of negative effect uh, on your sale if they don't sell. Or, or apart from the fact you haven't sold them, but it does keep. It does sort of reinforce the view that the seller is in, you know, of control.
2: Certainly the seller's in control. Um, you know, if we have a look also, one of the things we then monitor is what is the final selling price for a lot of cattle or, or line of sheep over the initial reserve? And last week we saw that bounce for cattle back up to $200 above the reserve price was the, was the average sale price. We look at that through June, July, and we were seeing that get back to only you know, below $50 a head. So again, it's that confidence and, and competition when it's hot, you know, it really can drive that market up. When it's not, you know, there's the line in the sand that the, the vendor has put in place um, and watching what that vendor does then if it is an unsuccessful sale, either in the 48 hours, 72 hours after the sale or where they then reposition that lot of cattle when they, they re-put them online, maybe in a week or two weeks later, um, is a really good indication for sentiment of where the market's going.
1: So, there's, so there's an adjustment on the seller as well in that case, Tim. Where the where the seller might say, "Well, you know, I had this in mind, but I still need to sell next week, so I'll use last week's prices to reset my reserves." Is that what happens?
2: Yeah, exactly. They can they can get the um, transparency of you know where the the under-bidder was. Um, they can either go into the negotiations then and there to to confirm that sale or they can take a step back and say, okay, we'll we'll re-put them up next week or the week after. Mm. I mean, they may put that up, you know, if the market. I know through June, July, we were seeing similar lines come back maybe two or three weeks later that may have been 2 to $250 a head lower, um, particularly through the PTIC heifer lines. Now, I would expect in the coming week, we may see those, there wasn't many unsold lines, mind you, but, you know, see those expectations increased again. So we see about a four to six-week lag on the unsold lines and sales over reserve to their then the actual price. So, you know, producers are reactive to where their stock are valued at. Um, if they don't like the price, they can sit back and recalibrate and maybe, you know, in normal years, it'll probably be a, a nice dump of rain, might kick the market and they yep. set the reserve higher. Um, at current levels, it's a range of things that could be influencing where they set that level in weeks to come.
1: Yes, well, there's no doubt there are a range of things affecting um Uh, agricultural confidence and thinking at the moment. Some of them, you know, are are, are quite serious and others, I guess, are are more emotional. And it sort of leads me into introducing to talk about the Auctions Plus producer survey you did. And I I must compliment um, your organisation, Tim, for doing that because it was a great um, insight into what producers are thinking. And for those people looking at it, it was in the Auctions Plus second edition of The Gavel, and I'm interested in calling it the gavel, Tim, given that you don't actually have a gavel when you auction on Auctions Plus, but still. Um, but it did. this report did highlight the gathering storm clouds that, you know, some people say might wash away the golden run we've experienced since 2020. And I'm quoting you guys there. And a lot of livestock producers expect to have their business negatively impacted by inflation. What were some of the key findings that you thought were important in that report, Tim?
2: To me, the main one I saw was the frustration that produces a finding of not being able to, if you like, run at full speed with these good seasons, great prices, and they were constantly facing issues, whether it was finding finding labor or it was you know, having you know, a new set of cattle yards turn up on time or, or having to pay much higher prices for their um you know their fencing equipment. I think there's the frustration, and, and once we do these surveys, we do a lot of calibration with some some contacts and resources on the ground. And it was that frustration of everything is going in our direction, but I can't fully put my foot to the floor because I just can't get the additional capital or labour resources to help me do it.
1: Yeah, and look, that's uh, that, that's that is a frustration because. Um... You know, one of the things we know here in, in Australia is we have good seasons and bad seasons, and we are going through what would generally be called a period of good seasons. So it is about trying to ramp it up. The other thing was, or a big issue was increased cost of inputs, and I guess fertilizer sits under that. Um, but farmers are great, Tim, at um, at really fo- continue to focus on productivity, aren't they? I mean, they they have kept cracking as best they can.
2: Oh, undoubtedly in it. It's, it's an interesting sort of comparison that one producer made to me that he said it felt a lot like a drought in that you're trying to get as much done with the restraints that you're facing, but you still were limited by the access and the cost to, to products and therefore you weren't fully getting the benefits from what you're after. Mm-hmm. Um, undoubtedly, you look at the labour issue and, I mean, I think farmers out there are so good at going. Well, I need this done. You know, bugger it, I'll do it myself. Mm. Um, there's only so many hours in a day for for most producers. Um, there's only so hard they can run their their family to help them out. Um, and I think that was the main frustration that 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 real. I'm ready to go. Everything's right. This is the second or third good year. I just need more help. I need more assistance. Willing to pay the price for it by all mm. means, but just the frustration of. I can't, can't fully get everything done.
1: It tells us, Tim, that there's some fantastic opportunities for young people in agriculture oh. if you really want to get in right now. Um, just talking about, and we know farmers have got a they're very innovative in terms of finding ways to do things better, but one of the statistics that came through your report is that um, they're looking at, uh, you talked about family, but they're looking at good working dogs, LBs, is the focus of staffing shortages, and that's been reflected in your um, average working do- dog prices.
2: Yeah, look, the working dog, I, I think it's always been a very valued part of the farming family. Um, I just think it's become much more valuable now that, um, you know, both you can run them pretty hard all day and uh, as long as they've got some good water and, <laughs> and uh, get a lie down every now and again, they're happy. But, you know, I think that's really, you know, I don't think anything's changed there. I certainly think the acknowledgement of the value of a good working dog has really, really accelerated. Um, you know, we see a lot of catalogue views. We see a lot of interest in those sales. I might also say I think there's, you know, the profile given to the working dogs from shows like Mustard Dogs has been fantastic. I think that's a really positive we've seen. Um, but, you know, the farmers always know the value of a good dog. <laughs> I think they know the frustration of a bad dog. Um, you know, so the, the work around how else can I get these jobs done um, without having to to get more physical human labour has been really interesting. And I think that's also, um, you know, the next piece of research we, we really should look at is how that's also reflected in the ag tech space.
1: I, I know in your figures, you've had an 118% increase in dog prices since 2016. And I love the quote there, Tim, where one of your um, one of the farmers said there that the dogs are loyal, they work on weekends and they eat leftovers. If only they could fix a busted pipe. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah we are, they are somewhat limited, but uh, you know, that that dog is really, I think, in some instances, the most valuable member of the, um, of the working family, and uh, he gets to sleep
1: outside. Well, value for money, certainly. Oh. Um, Tim, I, I'm to, just to finish though, there's some really positive points that came out of your report, and that is that um, 82% of farmers um, say that all things considered, it's an exciting time to be in farming and 74% are saying, look, I'm ambitious and focused on growing my operation. That's, that's great for everybody, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I always think that to do farming, you've got to be optimistic. Um, you know, you're always looking at what can happen um, as opposed to what might happen. But, you know, I think that general underpinning fundamentals that we've seen, and I know you talk about them, Rob, um, you know, the outlook is very bright for agriculture. Um, and I really think it's a case of producers have been crying out for years to get the, the training and the, the um, infrastructure right for when we get seasons like this. And I think, you know, back to my previous point, that only adds to the frustration they're seeing um, that when, you know, when we do get seasons like we're getting and when, you know, massive grain crops and, and fantastic livestock prices that it's not able to be fully benefited on. But they're still optimistic that, um, you know, they want to expand you know, they, they're they encouraging family to go into the industry because I think it's really got a, a bright future. Um, it's just, you know, can they get rid of those ever-present, uh, I was going to call them headwinds, but maybe not headwinds, just, uh, you know, sinkers that are weighed around the ankles of the industry that we we sometimes can't seem to shake off.
1: Yeah, those dark clouds, Tim, but uh, we know that uh, technology and innovation is going to, has always been played a big part in agriculture and will in the future, and certainly Auctions Plus has been a leader in that space. So uh, well done. Great. Uh, and we really thank you, Tim, for coming on Commodity Conversations today and sharing your insights because, um, you know, the things you're seeing and, and what Auctions Plus is doing is, is a really important part of the landscape. I was going to say livestock, but it's much broader <laughs> than that. So, Tim, um, thanks a lot. we will love to have you back on Conversations again and uh, all the best. Thanks, Rob.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription which will give you full access to all our archive of reports as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again and until next week, take care.